Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name's Tara Gleason, and I am the producer. First of all, I want to thank you to all of our listeners who submitted your questions through social media that will be addressed during this podcast today. So thank you for that feedback. And as stated in this podcast, make sure to keep those questions coming so that we can answer them directly. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the general support by the Naval Officer Spouses Club in Washington, D.C. Listen in as Susan talks to the CEO of College Board. Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I will be your host for today. I'm a master parent educator, curriculum developer, and researcher for the Military Child Education Coalition. I'm also the parent to three teenagers and the spouse of an active duty service member. Joining me today is David Coleman, CEO of College Board. Mr. Coleman, Thank you for agreeing to chat with me today. Thank you so much. And I'd be delighted if you called me David. Well, I will. Thank you so much for that offer. And please refer to me as Susan. I'd like it to be a little bit more impersonal, like we're having a coffee and chatting. So with most of our podcast. I missed that, Susan. Could we have coffee in person, please? I know. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Especially on this Mm. rainy day. I definitely could go for some coffee. So, Um, But with our podcast, David, typically we start out with a brief description of the organization. But Let's be honest, College Board does not need an introduction. Instead, what I'd like to do is discuss what College Board has learned over this last year in regards to supporting students. Well, what's interesting about the College Board learned supporting students is I think military families and their children have always encountered a more turbulent life as far as education is concerned. What I mean by turbulent is you might switch schools, switch high schools several times in the course of of an adolescent's life and have to change where you live and and hence reintegrate everywhere. There's all sorts of forces that make the needs of military, the children of military personnel, whether they're domestic or foreign, really, you know, more intense and more. And so I think that what we saw this year was a world where with COVID, everyone was in, in a lot of turbulence and disconnection and of various sorts and, and, and thrown over to a great degree. And, and one thing you learn, and that's always been true, is there are a lot of things that are more important than tests. And so one thing we said at the outset is that, like, it, since, since all kids would not be able to test safely, we asked our me- member colleges to be flexible with assessments. We said as much as students are taking exams, like the advanced placement exam, that they should be looked at in the context in which those students live and learn, because not all students had equal access to online learning or in-person learning. And so I, I hope it's okay to say the first thing you learn in a moment like this is a little bit about humility and a little bit about making sure that you're being as flexible as possible for the very different circumstances students are in. And I think that's something the military community is especially attentive to because their, their, their children are often in such complex cir- circumstances. Then we also learned that innovating to give that flexibility is essential in a crisis. So when it happened in March, we were still preparing to give the AP exams this spring And we could have, you know, some people said we should just not give the exams. 
But, you know, it's those exams that give the proof of, of credit worthiness that earned students. You know, this year, since we gave the exams at home, students earned uh, three million. Three million exams were taken and earned about $3 billion worth of college credit. And so that's a pretty big deal to, to fulfill that promise, but it forced huge innovation. We had to design exams that could be given safely at home and securely at home. Uh, suddenly, with the, with the diverse world of devices in people's homes, um, and that caused real stresses internationally, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and then we also wanted to create a great opportunity for instruction. So we built a thing called AP Daily, where we invited great teachers, great high school teachers. It was marvelous to watch them become stars as they taught the AP students of the nation and did their review in preparation for the exams. And, and some came who already world stars. So Lin-Manuel Miranda did a, you know, did a wonderful thing on AP US history and writing Hamilton and Janet Yellen. You know, not then, Secretary Yellen gave a wonderful uh, lesson on economics, and Jeb Bush came and did a wonderful thing on politics. So we tried to kind of be imaginative and resourceful to be flexible in the, in the, in the forces disrupting families, but also humble and acknowledge that, that we had to be careful with requirements that just didn't make sense in this very delicate time and always put uh, the health of students, including their mental health first. Well, I think you touched upon so many things that everyone was experiencing this past year, you know, being flexible, having to look for innovative ways when it comes to educational options and to humbly accept that there are some limitations in particular situations and understanding that the future forward is going to be different. In fact, College Board, just like so many others, is evolving and adapting. And in fact, in a recent article, the need to simplify demands on students was addressed. I'd like to expand on that a little bit as it relates to AP courses and testing. Yeah, I think that, you know, that need to simplify, to ask students to do fewer things well is, I think, so important. It affects everything we do. It affects, as you were saying, the AP program. It affects the SAT program. And we can talk later how we removed the optional essay. We removed the subject test to simplify the requirements we place on students. And, you know, at the same time, we, we don't want to take away the things that really help students. So, like, one thing that's cool is we have this partnership, as you know, with Khan Academy to do personalized practice for free. And, and particularly for students who are at home or students who need to move from one school to another where it can feel very impersonal, having that personalized practice come with you is simple and good. So what I mean to say is you're trying to let go of those things that really don't advance students that much and where you can do other things better. So in, in the AP programs, what some of that simplification has been is we have tried to uh, and it's been really cool. We've given every AP instructor a binder with 140 topics that are the core topics of their course. They can do them in any order they want, but it's much simpler, and it, it allows it to be much less of a rush, so they don't have to rush through so much work. We, we have less that they can do in-depth and well, which allows AP teachers to slow down and simplify. It allows a student who might be moving from one school to another to feel that they can dip in and out of an AP course. Does that make sense? If they miss a week, they can catch up. It's laid out really nicely. And then we provided these AP daily tools and these AP full year model, these, these classroom resources, so that for every day there are sample problems and sample tasks. So we're trying to kind of make it far simpler for teachers to do their work and for students to do their work in advanced placement. 
Well, I think those are some really interesting concepts, particularly for our military families, those that on occasion even move mid-year. You know, the military student doesn't necessarily always move over the summer. They, they could move throughout the year, and so that if they could pick up from those core topics in the particular AP class that they're taking and then continue on in the new state and the new school, that continuity is so valuable particularly, you know, for our military students. I, I think that's a re I, I, really I, interesting concept. As you know, the College Board is deeply committed to the special role we play in the education of military families and their children, of course. I mean, I just want to acknowledge how important that is to our mission because because there is that kind of motion and movement. And I really think, you know, I'm proud that a, a kid who might be in Georgia, you know, moved from Georgia to Texas suddenly in mid-year or another such move, their Khan Academy cap stays the same, and it, it still adapts to them personally. They still have their same AP account. Does that make any sense? Where their personal work is still all there with them. Because I think, as you know, it's not the moving is hard, not just because it's academically hard, it's socially hard. You feel that you're not known the same way and that your learning needs are not known. And by making those college board tools portable in that way, I hope we can help students feel at home quicker, you know, that they can make their mark quicker because they carry their work and their learning needs and strengths with them as they go. Almost that's our dream is to create something more like a portfolio travels just in the same way your PSAT score might travel with you, if that makes sense. That whatever your state you're in, people understand that. You know what I mean? They they can understand something about you. And we want to make all our tools that they will travel easily for young people so they can invest and keep growing. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. You know, MSEC is a big proponent of supporting military students, particularly when it comes to transition. And we've created a student portfolio um, that can be collected and created by the student and their family to help with these transition issues so that they don't feel like they're playing catch up, not only academically, but even socially, you know, getting them connected okay. in at the right classes with the right placement. Um, so we know that that's yeah. a big helpful tool. So that's really nice to see that College Board is also embracing and identifying that need as well. So in terms of AP testing, what do you see for this coming year? Do you still see COVID having an effect on how those tests are going to be executed or is, is College Board going to evolve into a new format altogether? It's such a great question because COVID prevents us, presents us with a demanding world here, Susan, and that demanding world as we sadly know, is lasting through this spring. I think all of us have had enough, but we have to adapt to the world as we find it in very different states with very different worlds. I'll put it simply. We think the best way to take the AP exam is in school, on paper largely. Um, it works. It's great, particularly for the sciences. There's lots of drawing for which, you know what I mean, drawing of graphs and charts and things for which paper works really darn well. And, and, and that could go digital at some point in a really great way. But what I'm saying is there's nothing wrong with kids being in the well-lit school building, taking an exam at the same time. It really works very nicely. And so we will have in-person administrations of AP wherever school is open, and they'll run smoothly as ever. So we're offering that this year. But we're also offering and being flexible so if students can't be in school and are at home, we will again be giving AP exams at home this year. And so it's a blended model to adapt to the situation in which our country finds itself today.
Well, and I think that's very important because, as you mentioned, every environment is different. Every state is different right now, whether it's policy or procedure and the importance is fulfilling that promise of helping our students obtain the, those college credits that they want to so that when they're exactly. going forward, they can be placed where they've worked so hard, um, you know, as they enter their, their freshman year. So exactly speaking right. of, that is our obligation yes. is to make sure kids can claim the credit they've earned. And you know, what's interesting about that. I'll just tell you an interesting thing. Even if a student call it earns a two on an exam, you know, it's a three, four or five or often credit scores. And then, but, you know, we have research that a student who earns a two in an AP course is as likely or even more likely to be ready for college than it may be from an SAT score. So what I mean is there's a lot of benefit. Even kids who just even score one on the exam, if they, if they, if they persevere in the course and take the exam, and if military children or anything, they typically persevere to a striking degree, by the way, um, those students are more college bound on average. So, so, so it's a very interesting thing that, that I, I want you know, military children and all families to understand that the experience of doing something rigorous and following it through all the way to the end and taking the exam and testing yourself in that way has a lot of future benefits at a very wide range of students. Well, and speaking of college preparedness, I would love for you to share your perspective on what you're seeing in terms of dual enrollment classes and what military families should actually be considering when they're weighing those instead of, uh, say, an AP course? I think it's a fascinating question. And I think that really good dual enrollment is awesome. You know, the excellent dual enrollment courses give students an early case, sometimes even being on a college campus, but you know, in a college course. And, and when it's taught by a superb faculty member and of very high quality, it's a superb experience and can improve college going rates. And so, so I think when I compare it to AP, I would, I would just make a couple of, of, of just, you know, kind of clear distinctions. One of the most important for military families is every dual enrollment course could be very different from one state or even one college to another within a state. Whereas an AP exam, AP courses, as you know, share the same framework. So every AP biology course has the same biology framework and has that same exam at the end. And that means that if their students, if their kids happen to move, they're going to be very well oriented within AP in the middle of an AP course, moving to another AP course. So I think there's one benefit of that continuity within AP. The second is, I think the strongest dual enrollment options are often in more specialized courses, like, like let's say you're super interested in a dimension of computer security or certain technical subject uh, where they're really, but I think in the core courses and core areas of history and, and um, science and the arts and computer science that we've been exploring uh, in more richness lately, I think there are a lot of benefits to the, to the uh, rigor that is established in AP course where students really feel a shared sense of challenge. Um, they feel that there is material that has, that there's an AP community behind. In other words, no AP teacher is just their teacher on their own. They're, they're in league with all the other great teachers of, you know, and they all learn from one another how to teach that content, how to make it exciting and interesting for the kid. I love how AP, so every AP biology teacher can talk to every other AP biology teacher because they, they have similar content that they're all sharing and a similar demand they're all trying to meet. In an AP classroom, the teacher doesn't grade your work in that they do grade their work, but there's also the AP reader, you know, that person outside the teacher who separately reviews that work, who doesn't know you. And, and that makes the teacher more like a coach which is very exciting for the teacher and the student. You know, they kind of team up against the exam. Am I making sense? 
And that's a very special yeah. experience between teacher and student because it's, it's more than trying to please the teacher or like you're actually ganging up and, and the teacher helps you in a different way as a coach. And I think that is very liberating and powerful. So, so I think in those core areas, there's a lot of benefits to AP that should be considered. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and I, I, uh, I can imagine a, along with um, changes in dual enrollment and AP courses, we're also seeing new realities and changes when it comes to the college admission process. And I know that the College Board is also making sure another program is adapting and adjusting to as well, and that's the the SAT. Would you expand on what you see being implemented with the SAT? Well, the first thing that, as you know, the biggest thing that I think parents and students are facing is that the SAT is broadly optional today for admission, very rarely, if at all, required. We actually asked, as I said at the beginning, for it to be flexible because there are some kids who can't take the SAT safely. And so the college board opposed it being required during this period. I know that sounds strange, but we, want, we think the SAT at its most beautiful and simple is one of the most widely available ways for students to distinguish themselves. You know, admissions officers can't know every school the same. You know, think of small rural high schools or the wide range of high schools in America. And think of a student that's changed schools, for example. They're not going to know those kids in the same way. What we want the SAT is, is to be a widely available way for students to distinguish themselves so that admissions officers can confirm their grades or even a student might have weaker grades, but then shows up and raises their hand through the exam. And even that their score might be really impressive compared to others around them. So, so there's lots of ways we want to make sure that the SAT can continue to be a way that, that every student, no matter what school they go to, can raise their hand and be noticed. Um, that's what its most powerful meaning is to us. And, and sometimes recruited as well and found. And, and by the way, we've been having discussions with colleges about the importance not only of better offering their services to veterans, but also the children of military families. And you may know that in conjunction with your great organization, we enabled students for the first time uh, let colleges know that they're a child of a military family because colleges are interested in that. They're interested in seeing that those students have something more to give and may have faced different challenges along the way. So. That's at the big level what I seek. Am, am I making sense, Susan? That's what I want the world to be, a world where there's this shared instrument where a student, regardless of their circumstance, can show their power. But things are changing. It's often optional. And so, you know, it may be a situation where we want to make sure every kid has that option but it won't be required in the same way. Absolutely. And one of the things that you had mentioned earlier was the elimination of the SAT essay. What was the thought behind eliminating that element of the test? Great question. It was simply this. What it was not is that writing matters a great deal for college readiness. And, you know, one thing that's wonderful, I'm sure you've noticed this, Susan, in your work over time, but if you look at the great generals, for example, if you want to read great writing, read Jim Mattis. Mattis is a magnificent writer. And you'll notice that of famous military figures throughout our history. So. Please let no one say that we're getting rid of this essay on the SAT because writing is not crucial to your success in virtually every field. And um, so on the, on the SAT, there's a required writing portion that will remain writing skills where you edit tasks, et cetera. And it's one of the most powerful dimensions of the test that will be required. The 
only thing we let go of is the one-hour essay during the exam because that kind of extended writing on the SAT, we found we could better see it in a lot of – in our AP program, which allows for a lot of extended writing, in our pre-AP program that allows for a lot of extended writing, and other programs like IB and other programs that really allow for a lot of student writing. So we felt the SAT – we were really proud of the essay on the SAT, but we found it was not the best or only place where a student could show that work, so we wanted to simplify and cut that away. We did the same thing, as you know, with our subject tests where again, one, a long time ago, uh, certainly when I was a kid, and I, uh, you know, I don't want to say anything about how old we both are, but you know, the subject <laughs> tests were a way for students who grew up in certain schools without a lot of advanced work to show their advanced understanding of a subject. But now AP you know, is so much more widely spread than the subject tests ever were and offers that chance for students to distinguish themselves that we didn't need the subject tests as well. No, no point in taking a subject test as well. So we basically just wanted to simplify. We want students, less is more. We were worried about the mental health of students. We were worried about them focusing. And we'd rather them do a few things well than feel this college admissions frenzy. Well, I think that's a, a lot of great information. And as a military-connected parent, what would you say uh, that we should be considering about all of this information that you've just shared? I think that, you know, it's, it, it's interesting, Susan. The, the, I think there's a lot of craziness about college admissions, if you mind, don't mind me being so blunt. Um, and that, that what I think military families could do is to, to take a good deep breath and make sure their son or daughter just does a few things. And, and, and I'll just try to list them for you, what I think is really important. You know, their core academic, falling in love with a subject, I, I don't mean just doing well, but discovering within high school things they love to learn about, learning that sometimes you can get devoted to a topic. I don't know if that's happened in areas of your life, Susan, where, you know, when you really get into something like history or psychology or, you know, or science, where you fall in love with it a bit. And learning to love things and get devoted to them is really important in high school because it, it will help in applying to college. It will help distinguish your child, but it also is good training for college. Because if you don't learn to fall in love with learning in that way and enjoy being to be expert at something, it's hard to go through college because the increasing answer you have to do, you have to pick a major and do all those things. You know what I mean? So the, the more they help their, their, their child begin to fall, I know it sounds old fashioned, but fall in love with an area of school and an academic area. That's one thing. The second is, I think particularly with the mobility of the uh, military children, them doing their best to forge whether it's keeping in touch with a former teacher or building relationships with other caring adults over time, doing their best to sustain some of those caring relationships. And that's one of the hardest ones in this environment you're talking about moving around. So really keeping a special focus on who's that caring adult, who's that, who are those mentor figures and teachers that kids don't lose touch with and stay in touch with. And we find that that's very helpful for students to have teachers they admire and it brings out their greatest work. And, and the third thing is, is, is being devoted to something out of class. And, and what I mean by that is finding an area that they, they find fascinating that's not their schoolwork, that they're devoted to. That could be a sport. That could be anything. But, but just so you know, I'm saying these three kind of things, but not much else. So to be blunt, while there are, I, I think it's madness that there are 10 spaces on the common application for college for your activities outside of class. There should be no more than three. If you want to do more than three things outside of class, 
God bless you, but it shouldn't help you get into college. Do, do you see my point? And, and the fact is admissions officers don't read beyond three. I hate to tell you, but they have no time for such things. So what we've created is this frenzy of kids feeling busy. And then I think military children feel especially um, chipped. You know, they don't have time for this. You know, they've often moved around school. And, and I, I don't want them to worry. I want them to breathe. I want families to breathe and say, okay. You know what I mean? Has my child whether they've moved around a lot or not, fallen in love with a discipline or two? Have they found something outside their classwork that they're dedicated to? But otherwise, they don't need to do more than one or two things, to be honest with you. And, 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 and I'm helping them build relationships with teachers that matter or other caring adults. That's all I would worry about and nothing else. <laughs> well, I think that's really very sage advice, particularly for a parent who has a college freshman and I have a junior as <laughs> well as a high school freshman. So, you know, yeah. college is on the horizon for us. Uh, we're already in the throes of, of one and we're, we're certainly looking at the next one. And it, it can definitely be overwhelming because as a military family that frequently moves, it's hard to establish those relationships with teachers, exactly. uh, you know, when you're moving from state to state. And MSEC is a big believer, too, in fostering a love of learning, um, because if you enjoy learning, you're going to do it for the rest of your life. And let's be honest, I think yeah. college is, a, is the great opportunity to really learn about things that you're interested in, things that you did know you were interested in. And building upon that in high school so that you have that foundation, I think is, is certainly a step for success for college. And speaking of college admissions, I know we've touched upon this a little bit, uh, but what do you see as the future of college admissions and how will the college board still be playing a role? It's a very interesting question. If I could just say one more thing about those relationships with teachers, because I really care so much about it and I know it's a real challenge that military children face. I wish one day, Susan, we could do a survey. And I would bet you, you know, some money, it would be fun to test this, that for many military young people, their AP teacher becomes a key figure to them. You know why? Because even if they move, they're still in the middle of the stream with that teacher. So even if I am an AP biology in Texas and then I go to, you know what I mean, Georgia or California, it's still, I'm having the same conversation roughly. Does that make any sense? That allows me to bond more quickly with that adult, they're not disoriented, and suddenly, you know, who knows what 10th grade English is in this state versus another state. Forgive me, sure. but it could be entirely different. Absolutely. And, yeah, that's an so, interesting theory. To, that would be interesting yeah, to see. Yeah, I would really love to test that because I do think that is the thing to keep an eye on. You know what I mean? But part of it is also saying to a young person, you know what, if you have one thing you love outside of school and you're beginning to love history, now really focus on getting to know the history teacher at your new high school. That's all I ask of you. You can put them together. You know what I mean? They don't need to know all their teachers. I apologize, but one or two meaningful relationships is enough. And we've got to stop asking too much of adolescents and making them crazy and their parents crazy. <laughs> and, I, you know, I agree. You know, you know and, and just to be frank with you, how many recommendation letters? Go to a college, one or two. So I'm not saying you need to be friends with all your teachers. You know what I mean? Don't be ridiculous. But if you love an area, find a teacher who teaches that and get to know them at your new school and make it your business to really get to know that person. And that's enough. So, so I've said enough about that, but I just want to tell you that more than anything, I think that's what needs to be recalibrated in our society. The mental health of young children, the happiness of young, the time that they have not to care about college. I mean, forgive me, but our data says that only 3% of students who go to college have a great life-changing experience there, only 3%. 
because they haven't learned to fall in love with learning, like you're saying, or get to know their teachers. And those are the things that make you love college. <laughs> you know what I mean? Guess what? That's what makes college great. Absolutely. Or getting really involved in the campus and going outside of class. You asked about the college board's going forward role in admissions. And, and I want to be rather simple about that. I think, again, I see a world where very often test scores will turn from something that is required to something students will choose to submit. So I see students more of a world emerging where students try on an exam, like the SAT, or you know what I mean? And they, and they see if that will help confirm their grades or add to their case. I want to be very frank about life. Many students, as you may know these days, especially have straight A's. You know that's changed too since we were kids. Um, but, but colleges are going to look at more than just grades alone, right? So you have to ask, what else are they going to look at to confirm? Or, and I'm worried that since they won't know every school equally, there's a really productive role for something like the SAT, which they do know, or the AP program, to complement a student's record. But I think it should never be, and it was crazy that it would ever be a sign of, you know, kids' intelligence or what they can do. The SAT is a, like a really simple thing that just tells you about your core reading and math skills of those skills most likely used in a first-year course. That's all it measures. It does not measure your possibility, your intelligence. Your... So, so I think it, it may have a smaller role, to be honest, and that may be good. I know that sounds strange coming from me. I think overestimating the SAT is one of the worst things you can do with it. But, but taking it as a pretty good gauge of whether your kid's ready to do college-level math or reading, is, it's pretty useful for that, actually. Well, and I think you brought up a great point of that if a school or a college university is not familiar with that particular high school, it's something quantitative that they can use exactly. when evaluating that student, exactly. you know, if that student exactly. chooses to take the test and, and submit it. So there is some, I think, real uh, concrete uh, strengths behind having those uh, test scores, particularly for those mobile students that exactly. maybe don't have an established profile or established relationship well, with a school. Let me give you an example. Let's say the Texas state tests are kind of different from the Georgia state tests, as they are today. You know what I mean? But, sure. But, but if a young person takes the PSAT, a young military student, you know, a ninth grader, right, takes the PSAT in ninth grade or 10th grade, they get, they get a score, you know, they get a report back. And, and as you may know, they can, for no money at all, sub give that, send those scores to Khan Academy that then develops a personal learning plan, right, based on what you may have missed in math or what your strengths are. When they move from Georgia to Texas, that personal plan remains the same. They can keep making progress. They don't have to miss a beat. So I think there's a real advantage to a military, you know, to a military student saying, boy, this is something I can, I can master. You know, the SAT is going to change from state to state. You see what I mean? So while right. everything else is confusing, the math that is measured remains the same. And if you practice it and get good at it, you can show your power, even if you're disoriented in your new courses. And then you can say, hey, my course grades, you know, I, was, I, I learned, you know, half the history I learned in Texas is not the, tech, the same history they're teaching. You know, I, I detect the state history, and now I'm in Georgia. They're not interested. You know what I mean? But my SAT score shows how strong I am while my history grade might, be, might not be as good as it once was. <laughs> no, absolutely. It gives the student an opportunity to be validated in what their abilities exactly. are. So I think, I, that it, yeah. I think that's a, certainly something to be considered when you're, you're looking at taking the SAT. So, David, yeah. you were so generous that you had a great idea in that 
you suggested, let's reach out to the military community before this interview and give them a chance to be a part of the conversation. So I took you up on the offer and I've got a few questions. I would really appreciate if you could just hang in there with us for a few more minutes and answer some of these that came directly from the military community. And I'm just going to kind of ask them as they were they were written and the first one that came in was in regards to the SAT. If the SAT goes digital, and I believe you mentioned that there would be some sort of hybrid version potentially this spring, Um, well, maybe not for the SAT, sorry, Uh, but if the SAT goes digital, what measures will be put in place to mitigate cheating? This is a great question, and uh, I'll give you a short answer. We have announced a broad commitment to a digital SAT, and we'll be giving further information about this in April. So stay tuned, but I will tell you one thing. What it won't be is designing the exam for at-home use with virtual proctoring. So one idea is you film kids as they're taking it, you know what I mean, through their device. Mm -hmm. We have found for a three-hour exam that is probably a dead end. I'll just be very blunt with you because it's too much surveillance. It's like not cool from a privacy perspective. It's internet can be spotty, et cetera. So we will come up with some very imaginative ideas of how to, uh, in fact, some breakthroughs to uh, mitigate cheating that that I think may even get a wow. Uh, And we're gonna come to you with some wow on this subject, but it's not gonna be by designing, you know, three hours of video video monitoring of students. I think that's a dead end. Okay, well, we'll have to check it out in April when that gets released in regards to the SAT. So the next question has to do with AP. Would the College Board ever consider offering AP tests mid-year for those students that are on a block schedule. And I think what they're referring to is those students that may be taking AP chemistry for the first half of the year. Totally. But the AP test is not until May. And so there's quite a bit of lag time between learning the material and actually taking the test. With a broken heart, Susan, I want to, like my commitment to the military families of this country is total. And and, some of their kids are, you know, and, and there are some kids in these block schedule situations. There's a simple reason we can't, because the, the great thing of the AP program, as you may know, is that college teachers and high school teachers meet to score the exams together in this beautiful thing called an AP reading. And they can do that right after school has ended in the spring, you see what I mean, or summer period. So, so we can't have an AP reading, and so we can't score the exam, right? You see, we couldn't do it then. So we're stuck, and I wish we weren't. I will say one thing about this. When you say quite a lot of time passes, what we will be doing is now that we've launched this cool new AP Daily with great teachers, you know, doing recordings, we will have free review for all students. Does that make sense? Free, excellent online review resources. So if you do need to brush up to take the exam in the spring, you've got resources to help you do so. And that's helpful to know that this, um, that they will have the AP Daily tools free and accessible to them during the duration from class until test time. So that's, and we can certainly put that information on our show's notes for our listeners so that they can find out more information about that. So our next question um, is in regards to those that need accommodations or modifications in terms of testing. How will they continue to be supported? 
Uh, I just, you know, in terms of the in-person exams, they'll be supported as they have throughout. So all the AP administrations have long held approaches to ensure that students with a range of, of needs can be tested fairly. And, and the interesting thing is that in the digital world, some of those accommodations even become easier and more elegant. For example, you know, regarding, as you know, with vocalization and hearing or Braille or other things, some of the electronic tools are actually quite advanced. So, so you can be sure that the College Board will continue to invest in a full range of accommodations in, in both ways that AP is examined. Thank you for answering that. I appreciate that. That's so important to still be mm -hmm. able to, to offer those services. No so our, our next question, um, I love it. It had a, an acronym with it. So I think when I um, was reading it, I needed to make sure I translated. They asked, do OCONUS, which stands for overseas, and CONUS, which means stateside, do those students take the same AP test? So they're basically asking, does a yeah, student yeah. in Germany take the same test as a student yeah. in North no, Carolina no, when it comes to Absolutely. AP? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. They always take comparable tests, which okay. I know it seems like an evasion, but I want to clarify that even within the United States, there are different forms of the exam operating at different times. And that's especially true when we provide it at home. We even, you, you know, there are as many as 30 different forms operating this spring, just to give you a sense. So uh, they're always doing a comparable exam and we use psychometric techniques, just like with the SAT. You notice how we can compare how you did an SAT in May versus June? You clearly sure. didn't say, take the same test, but we have techniques to rigorously compare that performance. So it, it comes out the same on a one to five scale. Okay. And then for those that want to check out previous AP scores on um, a particular class, maybe they're trying to decide which classes they want to take in the future, where can they find that information? So just, you know, if students check, for students check their own AP scores, they can always log into their College Board account. And that they, that saves that data. Does that make sense? The only situation in which you would lose your, you know what I mean? Like it, after sure. four years, your AP scores are no longer viewable. So that's the only issue. They've been archived. And to get at that archive, there are lots of procedures that are all laid out there if you need to, uh, if you need to reach your archive scores. But I think the College Board accounts, which are more recently introduced, have made this a whole lot easier for everyone, where you don't have to go searching into that, you know, that to find them somewhere. And it makes it much easier and lighter weight to report them to colleges. Okay. Now, if they were interested, just sort of a caveat to that earlier question, if they're interested in looking at um, the average test scores for a particular class, where could they find yeah, that information? That's a super interesting thing. We have lots of public information about how a range of students, you know, AP annual report, for example, where we describe the general performance on our exams and all sorts of interesting data. We do not likely publish this class's average score. Part of the reason for that is classes vary in size and okay. providing information at that specific level of detail could hint at students' individual performance, which is a matter of privacy that we can never touch. We must never share broadly data that would give any personal information, even indirect way to find it. Interesting. Okay. 
that thank you. It does. Yes. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. thank you for yeah. answering that. And then um, I have one more question from our overseas students. Uh, they were inquiring, would there ever be any consideration in terms of when at the time the AP test could be offered? The example was given this particular student lives yeah. in Korea and had to take the test at 2 a.m. My apologies to that student and family in Korea, and I apologize to them last year. We're in a bit of a tough spot. If they take the administration, if schools are open in the foreign country, we're describing this as easy, Susan. They'll be able to take it at a reasonable time during the school day. And I hope that can overwhelmingly be our international solution. Am I making sense? Whereas yes. last year, with a lot of schools closed, we really had no alternative. We could either cancel the test or what we don't have likely is enough digital exam possibilities that we can offer it whenever students want it. You know what I mean? So sadly, if a student is gonna again be digitally testing, it may be at a rough hour again this spring and then never again. I, I just, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I wish I could create enough secure exams digitally to allow for that kind of flexibility but we have to keep security and, and that's been very unpleasant. And I, I dislike it very much, but I hope in-person administration at a humane time and digital may still be inconvenient and for which I apologize, we're doing the very best we can. Well, that's very kind of you to say, and I think it's a still a great reminder from the three things that you had mentioned at the very beginning. And one of those is being flexible because in this new environment, we're all having to experience those moments of flexibility and certainly taking a test at 2 a.m. is one but uh hopefully after we get through 2021 that that may not have to be the case <laughs> exactly that can hopefully be the case well i have one more question for you if that's all right yeah. um Absolutely. this one is coming from an in-person workshop um where we had a parent ask can you explain what the ap capstone program is and how a high schooler can participate if it's not offered at a local high school? I think the AP Capstone and Seminar Program is one of the most exciting innovations we've had. And Susan, what it is, it's a, it's a course where you first participate in a seminar, and that could be in an English class or another class, and it's, it's really like a seminar in college where students speak up more and they participate more intensively, and the topics are quite flexible but there are real standards around students collaborating and working together and testing that whole range of skills we think you can never can test, you know, about collaboration and presenting information and, and, and doing research. And then there's a year long, if they go further for the capstone, a year long research project in an area a student most wants to learn about. It's really built to cultivate that passion and love of learning we were talking about of where students fall in love with something. I, I will say one of the most moving examples of this to give you a sense of how the range of it is one of the students did a project in which she designed a hand for a soldier that had served in Iraq to replace the hand he had lost. And she became fascinated by what it took to do that. It, it allows students to pursue and, and, and that was valid form. In other words, it's not like that, you know, just an old fashioned three hour test. It's rich projects where students put their heart and soul into it. And, um, and we're seeing a wider set of students succeed. We're seeing a wide, you know, students from all ethnic backgrounds succeeding at this. I think there's enormous promise in these kind of more project-based approaches to let a broader variety of students shine. 
And now we are investing this year in making AP Capstone and Seminar much more widely available. It was kind of a controlled release at first, which is why the question of, hey, if it's not at my school, can I still do this? I wish I had an answer to that. I, we, there may be some virtual attempts at this, but we're really trying to get it to schools with a teacher there, because that's really the, mag the magic of it, if I'm making sense to you. It's not just being in it, it's being in a seminar environment with your fellow students. And so what we're really trying to do is find ways of getting capstone to any school that wants it. And so really going to your school and saying, hey, I've heard about this, could we do a seminar and capstone type environment here? And, and, and I feel really good about that as a way forward for young people. And, and just again, when you talk about that student changing schools, you know, changing from one state to other, they can take their capstone project with them. You know what I mean? They go right in the back into that capstone environment and they're like, this is what I'm working on and they can get to work day one. That's a really interesting concept and, and how it's incorporating so many different ways a student can exactly. learn and make those connections exactly. within the program and foster that love of learning. Um, I exactly. think it would be really helpful to put some information in our show's notes on the capstone program. Um, so listeners, I will make sure that to include that in our show's notes for those that are interested. So David, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer all these questions and I hate to wrap it up, but I do want to just ask you, do you have any final recommendations or information that you think is important to share with our listeners? I think the most important thing I can say is this. The community of people who happen to lead the college board, we have a disproportionate number of former military and people who have deep connections to the military at the college board today. So I'm not kidding when I say the interest of the child of the college board in this community runs very, very deep. What that means for you is if you have more questions or you're bumping into something, if you get them to Susan, she will be able to get them to us. And my colleague Jerome and others at the College Board will make sure your questions are answered. So really, I just want to offer a lifeline to families that are already giving so much for their country to know that we respond with a similar kindness and openness. So this podcast hopefully is the beginning of a conversation. And if you have more you need to know, please go through MCEC and we'll try to get you those answers as swiftly as we can. Well, David, I want to just thank you again for taking the time to share, to answer these questions. I mean, it is so obvious that you are passionate about education, and frankly, you're really passionate about supporting military families. And I know MSEC is grateful for your continued support with our community. So thank you for joining me today and chatting. Thank you so much, Susan. Have a wonderful day. And next time we'll have coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. You bring it. Absolutely. Done. You have been listening to the MSEC podcast. This podcast today has been made possible thanks to the generous support from the Naval Officer Spouses Club, Washington, D.C. You can listen to this podcast and those archived by topic when you subscribe and download at Podbean, iTunes, MSEC's all military connected children by educating, advocating, and collaborating to resolve education challenges associated with the military lifestyle. Learn more about our partnerships, programs, and initiatives at militarychild.org. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram for the latest on our enduring mission to serve the children of those who serve us all. Be sure to join us again next week. Thanks for listening.